From historic homes to modern architecture, brick is one of the most popular building materials around the world. How to allow the house to bridge the gap between the history of the site, the approachability of this kind of architecture in this kind of neighborhood, and the sort of nostalgia of materiality for, for the client's past, right? And, and brick really started to provide an answer for that. Hi, I'm Doug Pat, and this is Design Vault. There aren't many materials that easily blend with any style and context, but brick does just that. I've seen some extraordinary work with brick, so when Glenn Gary approached me about hosting this podcast, I couldn't say no. Typically, Tudor-style houses from outside are just stunningly gorgeous piece of structure, and when you go in, it's just sad, Yeah. dark. And that is not going to happen with my approach to design. I speak with industry leaders and share inspiring stories behind their work and ingenious design. You'll see brick that's fashioned into basket weave patterns, sawtooth patterns, what's known in England as diapering. Doesn't sound like you knew them per se, right? They found you through relationships that you had with other. Well, wait, Doug, there's more. Okay. <laughs> we'll go behind the scenes to understand process and even the inspiration that sparked the design. You know, I think we were inspired by all the factory buildings in, in Dumbo. I mean, that is the kind of period of significance that early American factory building. Design Vault by Glenn Gary. Visit glengarry.com forward slash design dash vault or search for Design Vault wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now to stretch your imagination. What is girl math? We'll explain we'll it after. Okay, I don't think I like that. <laughs> you won't. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't even want to know. Let's continue. She Builds Podcast <laughs> Math is for real and is cool. Hey there, and welcome back to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season's theme is tools and inventions. We are talking about ladies that invented something or were involved in the development of a tool used in our field. On today's episode, we will talk about Sarah Guppy, an English inventor and the first woman to patent a bridge. I'm Lizzie Rahr, remembering watching Simone Biles compete last month, which was amazing. And I'm coming to you from San Francisco, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Jessica and Nergidi. I'm Nergidi Rivas, the daughter of a high school gymnast coming to you from Houston, Texas. And I'm Jessica Rogers, just tumbling through life based out of Miami, Florida. It's <laughs> <laughs> time for our disclaimer. The three of us are not experts on this subject. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us. Send us an email and we will all continue learning. Okay. Today, we're headed back to Georgian England, ladies. The U.S. doesn't officially exist yet. Think Queen Charlotte. In fact, at this point in when our story starts, she had just had kid number seven of 15. Oh. oh, interesting. It's funny because I just finished watching that show. So I'm going to take myself to Shonda's England because that one seems more fun. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very cool. Also, I binged that show just too quickly. It was so same. Good. So good. <laughs> same, same. 
All right. Sarah Maria Beach was born in Birmingham, England on November 5th, 1770. She was the daughter of Richard and Mary Beach and had two brothers, Richard and John. She was the middle child. Her dad, Richard, was a wealthy merchant who traded in brass and sugar, particularly in the West Indies. Only sister in the house. I can relate to that. Also, you, Lizzie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I didn't have that. Uh, yeah. It's it's hard <laughs> when you have. It's OK. But anyway, uh, brass and sugar. I've never heard of someone being a merchant in brass. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Mm. Since she was born into a wealthy family, she was lucky enough to have a great education for that time. Jessica will be sad to hear, though, that other than this, I don't know much about her early life. Mm, Bummer. That is sad. There are so many speculations that we can make, though. When you hear, you know, that she was a middle child, the only girl, and that her father was a merchant. Mm, The stories and details that are missing from this. But anyway. I know. It's really too bad. But... We're going to jump to 1795. She's 25 years old now, and she marries a man named Samuel Guppy. Samuel's family was in the sugar trade as well, and he was a brass and iron founder. So it seems like they might have met through her dad, Mm. I think. Oh, well, Guppy, that's a happy sounding last name. Yeah, it sounds right (laughs) out of Downtown Abbey, a show I've never seen and know nothing about. (laughs) But imagine that it would be like this. Sure. I bet you that he was probably a little sweet on her. Good. It was right there. I had to do it. Do sugar what? Merchant. I don't get it. He's a sugar merchant. He was sweet on her. Oh, no. Yes. I okay. had to. It was right there. It was right there. <laughs> All right. Okay. So they get married in Bristol on February 22nd, 1795, and she moves to Bristol where Samuel and his family are from. Also, he was 15 years older than her. Woo! Hopefully, even though there's a big age gap there, I hope that they had enough in common to have a happy marriage. Yeah, I hope it wasn't all just sugar and brass that they had in common. Also, I was wondering how <laughs> far Bristol is from Birmingham. So, okay, so quick Google search. It's an hour and 42 minutes by car, by bike, which is probably more comparable to a horse and buggy, is about eight to nine hours away, I would assume. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. I like that the bike comparison to horse and like that. That's our. Yes. I mean, it's a good like way to. That's to as guess close as that, we I could get with Google Maps. Right. Because yeah, they don't have yeah. horse um, metrics. <laughs> no. <laughs> the GPS. <laughs> I wonder if that Google, could be a new Maybe thing. work on this. Right. Yeah. yeah. Add we another section. <laughs> All right. Sarah would have six children in 14 years from 1795 to 1809. Oh, hey, Sarah was busy. I mean, yeah, yeah, she had no TV. It was real life. Queen Charlotte downtown Abbey vibes, you know, if it was wintertime, there was no balls to go to. So (laughs) her activities were limited. (laughs) She didn't even cook. I bet you she had a queen like a person to cook for her. Who knows? (laughs) 
I don't know. Well, okay. So Samuel had an iron foundry and also built agricultural machinery. He also had interest in a New England nail manufactory. It sounds like he had a lot going on, but he was also into inventing things and engineering. In 1796, he took out a patent for two machines to cut and head nails. Oh, so Samuel was into all sorts of things, huh? Also, I just noticed that Sarah married Samuel, like S square. How cute is that? (laughs) They named all their children with S names and then everyone had the same initials. That sounds like it could be a cute but really annoying thing. Okay, that was (laughs) my very important side commentary. You're welcome, everybody. Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry to say they did not name all their children with S names. Mm. Not even one. Sounds like a missed opportunity to me. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. Okay, well, they did name two of their kids after themselves. (laughs) So there was a Samuel Jr. and a Sarah Jr. So there were two out of the six. (laughs) Okay, I guess I'll take it. Yeah. For all of those children, they had options, but okay. Yeah. Well, in the early days of their marriage, Sarah's raising a bunch of kids, running their house in the center of Bristol. It sounds like they were very active in the social circles of town, but she was also very active in managing Samuel's business affairs. So from the get go, she was interested in helping and learning more about the business and engineering. I really like this. Sarah sounds like a good business partner. Power couple alert. Also, it sounds very much like Queen Charlotte slash Downton Abbey vibes with the like socialize and whatnot. (laughs) It does. Okay, but what I like to think that this was smart on Sarah's end because what we've known from these shows is that if the husband leaves or dies at that time, the wife has very limited options where they might be forced to remarry. So for Sarah to learn about the business, she's equipped to take over if something were to happen. Kind of reminds me of Emily Roebling. Also, it was in her blood, mm. like her papa was in the business. So she probably picked up some things. Mm. That's true. So... After Samuel patented the flathead nail machines, that then led to another patent in 1804 for copper sheathed nails that could be countersunk into the hull of a ship and therefore limited barnacles growing on the hulls of ships. This was obviously sought after, as I'm sure you're not surprised by. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. Duh. <laughs> Who would have thought? And I mean, yeah, but Sarah helped negotiate the contract with the Admiralty or the Royal Navy because they wanted to use these nails on their ships. And Sarah made the family about 20 to 40,000 pounds. Today, that would be two to four million pounds. Dang! Throw it up, throw it up. Watch it all fall down. Oh, dollar signs, all I see are dollar signs. Thank you for that musical interlude. Yep. Shout out to me. Right, right. an episode. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Sarah's killing it. As a mother of six, while also managing her husband's businesses and making savvy business deals, right? 
In March 1811, she took out a patent for, quote, a new mode of constructing and erecting bridges and railroads without arches or stirlings, whereby the danger of their being washed away by floods is avoided. So this bridge that she patented is often referred to as a chain bridge or a hanging bridge. Wait, what? She did what? I need to see pictures of this. Interesting. Yeah, she patented a bridge. That's the short version. <laughs> uh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, okay. At this time, most bridges were using arches. Mm-hmm. Like we see when we think of like French and Roman viaducts or aqueducts, right? Mm-hmm. They had to dig foundations in the river, right? Mm-hmm. Which, as we know from Emily Roebling's episode, is not easy. Yeah. Episode 29, people. This is the episode where people lost their lives or legs making bridges. Got the bends. It was like this whole thing. Yeah. And unless you were Emily's ungrateful husband that survived all of those things, there there were. There were lots of dangers. <laughs> I mean, yes. he did lose the use of his legs. I remember. And he got the bends. Yeah. He yeah. Got the bends. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, the point is that building those foundations would block some of the waterway, right? Mm -hmm. So Emily's method calls for driving rows of piles, which were connected by framing into the banks of the river on each side. From the upper part of the piers or piles, they would pass across the river, quote, several strong metallic chains parallel to and at suitable distances from each other, which said chains may be drawn tight by secure mechanical means. Then the, quote, deck of the bridge could be laid on the chains. It's sort of it's hard to explain, but essentially it's like they have piers on each side as like the secure foundation part. Then they run like two or three ropes or chains across between the piers and then they like lay decking on top of the chains okay yeah actually when you explain it like that it makes more sense and it's definitely helpful to look at pictures of it to get it listeners you should check out our show notes to see it but basically it reminds me of bridges that we see in playgrounds like the ones we Mm -hmm. used to cross when we were little Yeah. Or you can picture like those hanging bridges that you may come across in walking trails. Yeah. (gasps) Like the ones we saw in Costa Rica, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I can definitely see the appeal, though. Like there's less materiality. The bridge is lighter and it can allow for like more expansive distances and it's safer to build. So eh, pretty good. Imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. Gable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for credit-worthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire all in a user-friendly environment. But wait, there's more. Architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA continuing education services provider. Upon completion, we handle everything, 
from reporting your hours directly to the AIA to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media. Yeah, and I think you can see how this would be a precursor or kind of like a cousin of the modern suspension bridges that we see today. Definitely not the same design because I don't want bridge designers to come for me, but it's like headed in that direction. You know, they're like they're friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I can see that. Also, don't at us, engineer bros and sis. Yeah. Don't don't at us. But okay, so if we had to like simplify it, I would say that the chain bridge walked so that the cable suspension bridge could run if you catch my drift. Chain bridge is the chicken and suspension bridge is the egg. That's my thinking. <laughs> so we know where's we know where Jessica stands on the chicken and the egg then, I guess. Yes, I sure do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> chicken first. <laughs> Well, this is so neat that she invented this safer bridge because, again, after the horror stories we heard on episode 29, now we got a bridge that we can construct in a way that is a little safer because Sarah was looking out for the working people. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Well, one of the reasons that Sarah came up with this idea was that she thought it could be a good idea for her hometown of Bristol. So the city of Bristol is on the River Avon, which comes off of the Bristol Channel. There is a long history about the Clifton Suspension Bridge, which, spoiler alert, Sarah did not design. There's been some misinformation over the years saying she designed it. So let me upfront say that she did not design this bridge. Bring truth to light. Yeah, we stick into the facts. Yes. However... Many say that her patent design was inspired by the fact that building a new bridge across the Avon Gorge from the Clifton neighborhood of Bristol, where Sarah eventually lived, to Lee Woods on the other side was very needed. But it had very specific requirements. The Admiralty, or the Royal Navy again, had stated that the bridge needed to be tall enough that a tall masted ship could still pass under it to get to the Bristol Harbor on the other side. So that meant they couldn't do any piers in the river for the design of the bridge. Enter Sarah. (laughs) Gotta love a good problem to solve through design. Mm -hmm. Mm. So even though she didn't design the bridge, she was a huge advocate for it, raising money and promoting the design that was chosen by Isambard Kingdom Brunel, which is the bridge that stands there today. You know, sometimes projects need cheerleaders to help push good things forward, especially with her help in social circles. I can see the influence that she could have had. Yeah, that's important, too. She's like a bridge promoter, a brand and marketing strategist, a chief financial officer. A lobbyist. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Lobbyist. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so she didn't design the Clifton Suspension Bridge. However, she did let Thomas Telford use her patent for his suspension bridge in Wales, the Manai Suspension Bridge. Apparently, she didn't charge him anything for using the design and said that she was only concerned with the public benefit, not her personal profit. She was still rolling in that Royal Navy dough from earlier. Duh. 
But also, <laughs> it goes to show how passionate she was about her design. She wanted to see how her technique would pull through, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, we should also note that, like I said in the name of the bridge, it was a suspension bridge, not a chain bridge. So whether he did use her principles in the design is a bit unclear to me, but I just found it interesting that she was more concerned with the public welfare than profit in allowing him to use her patent if he wanted to. Mm. You know, structural engineer friends, please come to our rescue. Send us an email with diagrams that we can understand and share on our show notes if you have a chance of like comparing chain the suspension versus suspension. Bridge. Yeah, and chain. That would be great. We appreciate you. <laughs> yes, that would be very helpful. Sarah was also out and about preaching practical changes when she saw solutions for them. She would write to public figures with her ideas, like her idea to reuse manure as fertilizer. This may seem simple now, but apparently people were leaving all this manure like on the side of the road. And so she was like, mm, people, we need Ew. to do something about this. Right. You know, this is giving me Florence Nightingale vibes. Yep. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's also reminding me of Queen Charlotte and Farmer George. Because <laughs> he had a theory about <laughs> manure too. Is brought to you by Queen Charlotte. By <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, in March 1812, she pulled another patent, this time for a tea and coffee urn, which could also poach eggs and keep toast warm. <laughs> okay. Uh, it, I mean, okay. it sounds very practical, but like... It's an all-in-one. Yeah. But like, how <laughs> does this work? Like, I have no idea. It's like the... Like, I get the coffee and the tea, but it's like the poached egg part that's like throwing me off. Like how, like how do, what? I think it's the steam from the tea. You know what I mean? Like it's getting, oh, I don't know. Okay. Well, who knows how it works, but she's patenting up a storm. Yep. Yeah. I don't have, and I didn't have a drawing of that one, so I don't know the exact way it works, but I would guess it's the steam from the coffee or tea that like poaches the egg. That's a good guess. But who knows? Sadly, it sounds like Sarah and Samuel's marriage wasn't doing too hot. He left her between 1818 and the mid-1820s. They inherited money from Sarah's dad, and Samuel was basically able to retire and decided to peace out. Ooh, scandalous. Come on, Sam. Don't do Sarah like that. So out of pocket. <laughs> so in 1818 before leaving he did leave everything to sarah in his will so going back to what jessica was saying before he did leave her everything and so she continued to run the house and be involved in the social happenings of bristol her two oldest sons went into sugar refining but one of her sons thomas ended up being besties with isambard kingdom brunel and working with him on some engineering projects He's the guy who did the Clifton suspension bridge that we talked about before. Right. Well, at least the husband wasn't a total butthole. And that's also really cool about her sons. Yeah, I'm glad that she continued running the show. Yeah. <clears throat> In 1830, Samuel passed away and Sarah kept inventing. In 1831, she took out a patent for the design of a bed with a lot of features. Mm. I also don't have a drawing for this, and I kind of wish I did because... It's a doozy. So it had under bed storage drawers. Very practical. 
Mm-hmm. But it also had yeah. a built-in exercise machine <laughs> and features, quote, intended to reduce dust collection and improve ventilation. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> like, how is this supposed to work? That's so confusing. I know. I also, I don't know if I want to sleep there, like. Well, I've been sweating from the machine and it's like... I mean, yes, but like, think about it. Like, you know, when you're working out, you get a sweat and then you just pass out and you just conveniently pass out like on the bed that it's attached to. Before showering? I mean, you're just so tired or you fall because, you know, sometimes treadmills can do that. You can fall. You just fall on the bed. I know it has like that improved ventilation thing, but still, ew. I I mean... I think it's like, I think it's a light workout. I don't think it's like a full sweat kind of thing because it was supposed to be like, oh, you don't even have to get up from bed and you can do some exercise. Like, awesome, like a stretch. If they, I mean, if they were putting manure, leaving manure everywhere, they obviously didn't care about hygiene. So they were just letting their sweaty bodies be. <laughs> And I think, you know, beds at that time were a lot of times like the big four poster ones with like curtains and stuff. So I think that's part of the dust and ventilation portion this is my Uh, guess but anyway man we need pictures yeah i know (laughs) so sarah also continued to be very involved in the cultural life of the city of bristol she served as the only woman on the city's horticultural society she also purchased shares in the bristol institute for the advancement of science and was a proprietor of the great western railway in 1835 like a boss Period. <laughs> On January 29, 1837, Sarah got remarried to Charles Iyer Coote. Okay, so her first marriage, she married an older guy, right? This mm-hmm. time, she decided to swing the other way and married someone 28 years younger than her. She was 67 at the time. Whoa. <laughs> what a turn of events. Get it, Sarah? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Love to see it. Get a girl. Well, it sounds like Charles was from a good family, but he had a gambling problem and oh, proceeded no. to gamble away pretty much all of Sarah's money. Mm. And eventually she did leave him and she lived on her own. I know. Sad turn of events mm-hmm. that he's a gambler, mm-hmm. but glad that Sarah knew when to cut her losses and run. Yeah. Yeah. Also, let's talk about whiplash. But yes, to Nergity's point, at least she had the courage to leave him. Yeah. During the next few years, Sarah was still out here designing and inventing stuff. She registered eight new designs under the Copyright Design Act of 1839. A lot of these were domestic related, like some of her other inventions. She designed a candlestick that would make a candle burn for longer. Mm. Very important pre-electricity. Mm-hmm. And a fire hood for stoves called the Cook's Comforter and a portable stove. Dang, Sarah be inventing up a storm again and again. Inventions left and right. The Cook's Comforter sounds funny to me. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like, I wish we called our range hoods Cook's Comforters. Right? That sounds so cool. Because that's essentially what it was. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of her inventions didn't have a lot of commercial or financial success. Well, that happens. You got to put yourself out there and see what happens. Yeah. 
It's a bummer that people didn't find comfort in the cook's comforter. What a pity. <laughs> what a pity. Yes. Sarah Coote died at her house in Bristol on August 24th, 1852. She was 81 years old. At the time of her death, she only had 200 pounds to her name. Mm. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. She lived a long, productive, inventing life. It sucks that kid got in her life to spend her money, but what can you do? Hopefully she had some fun there. She better have had some fun. Just yeah. wasting it all on the young whippersnapper. It's also, and <laughs> she came from a wealthy family, you know? And like to begin with, she invented all these cool things and she, you know, she was a very savvy businesswoman. So yeah. for it to happen like that is sad. This also reminds me of Mary... Marion Mahoney Griffin because Mm. she made so many contributions but ended up in an unfortunate circumstance just like Sarah. Yeah. Sarah left her house and the lot across the street that she owned to the city. She asked that the empty lot never be built on so that it can be enjoyed by the community. Ooh, does that mean that it's a park today? Can I take Athena and throw a ball around with her like a puppy arc venture? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Pup venture. You can bring your puppy to see Sarah Guppy's place. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Another place added to our arc venture. Yeah. All right. Now we have reached the second half of our episode, The Karyotid. This is where we select a woman living today who is doing her thing, furthering the profession, and whose work continues to hold the profession up, just like the caryatids or columns shaped like women found on Greek-style buildings. So without further ado, this week's caryatid is... (laughs) Dr. Preeti Parikh. So Preeti studied structural engineering and urban planning in India. Her dad was a structural engineer and inspired her to go into the profession. She worked as an engineer for 12 years, both in India and the UK, before deciding to get her doctorate from the University of Cambridge. Gotta love supportive dads and the opportunity that she had to work in two countries, because that sounds so cool. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah also to go back to school after 12 years that's also very interesting yeah while at cambridge she focused on infrastructure in the impoverished areas of both india and south africa doing her doctorate made her realize that she loved researching and how it can better inform design and therefore help resource challenged communities I like where this is going i feel like she's either going to invent something life-saving or she's going to be involved in transforming lives in some meaningful way. (laughs) After her doctorate, she also began teaching at the Bartlett School of Sustainable Construction as an associate professor, and she leads the Engineering for International Development Research Center there. Mm. Yes, see? What did I tell you? Teaching plus leading research equals transforming lives. (laughs) There you go. It's math. Yep. It's math. <laughs> it's she builds podcast I math. <laughs> like girl math, yeah. but she builds podcast. Like girl math, but she, she builds, builds podcast, podcast math. math. Yep. 
Well, I feel like Preeti is using her engineering skills to create a better environment for so many people. And it reminded me about how Sarah wanted to create more efficient and better ways to either do things within the house or for bridge design. Even the way she advocated for the bridge that was built, which wasn't her design because she knew it would benefit her community, reminds me of Preeti. Definitely. Okay. Before we say goodbye, we want to say thank you to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and most of all, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Sarah and Preeti along with our banter and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thank you. Sheba's podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. And Gable Media is all about building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L Media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your husbands, your gambling friends, your guppies, your puppy owners. Tell them to give us five stars on iTunes and Spotify. Tell them to write us a review and it will help all of us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about the amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter or X at shebuildspod. Bye. Bye. Ta-ta for now. Did Lizzie just leave? Talk about a cliffhanger. Oh my God, how do we stop recording? Well, no, no. Doesn't, can't she just come back? Lizzie, come back. Ooh. Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. They consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender.